you to each one who participated in our service tonight, and thank you for coming back this evening as we continue our study in what does righteousness look like. The theme tonight is that the rejection of God's truth is both the root and first fruit of unrighteousness. When I say the root, it is a root. We're going to look at a number of root sins in the uh, days that lie ahead. But the theme verse tonight comes from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, which states, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So unrighteousness leads to a further rejection of the truth, but not just rejection, but actually this word suppression of the truth, it obscures the truth. It covers over the truth. It makes the truth hard to see and hard to understand, and we'll unpack that tonight as we go through Romans. But one of the root sins in the Garden of Eden was a failure to give honor to God, which resulted in a thanklessness. Adam and Eve knew God, Romans 121, for although they knew God, it's going back to mankind in its very beginning, about Adam and Eve. They certainly knew God, they knew who he was, they had a relationship to God. He had revealed himself to them, he walked with them in the cool of the day. However, They did not give God the respect that he deserved. But it states they did not honor him as God. The idea here is that they did not give God the honor of which he was deserving as God. They didn't give him the proper respect. And the result was that they were not thankful to God for all that he had provided. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. One of the manifestations of a failure to dishonor uh, God is to fail to be thankful to him. Likewise, we dishonor people by failing to be thankful for them or, or what they do. We certainly live in a day and age in which there's an entitlement mentality. People think that they deserve uh, everything. And it's hard to please people or think that uh, you are going above or beyond the call of duty. Uh, People just take for granted the kindnesses that are shown. Much of that idea is present in their failure to honor God. They viewed all that God had provided them as deserving and that uh, they didn't particularly express a thankfulness to God. Uh, Here I state, Adam and Eve had much to be thankful for. They should have been thankful for God's leadership, for God's direction, for God's protection, 
for creating Eve, for Adam, for giving them this beautiful garden. But they were not. They should have been thankful for all that God had provided, including plenty of wonderful things to eat. Romans 1.29 Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit-yielding seed. It shall be food for you. That word behold is stop, think, consider that it is I who have given you and then this every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, every tree. Look at all that you have and stop and consider that I have given this to you and it shall be food for you. However, Adam and Eve were not satisfied with everything that God had given them. Instead, they focused upon the one tree from which they could not eat. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said, you will not surely die. So they they focused on this one tree. They had this incredible garden. They had a multitude of trees from which they could eat. But rather than focus on all the blessings that they had, they focused on this one single tree that they could not eat of. So Genesis 3, 6 tells us, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, remember that, tons of food, it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve were were not thankful for God's headship. Tells us in Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They thought that they were wiser than God and so rejected his counsel. They thought that God lied to him. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. And they thought that God had false motives in his commands. Uh, Notice the verse above, in verse 5, under number 1. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God knows that you're going to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him, therefore don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But... uh, the serpent says that's not true. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, because she rejected that idea that uh, it would not. She took out of its fruit and ate, and she also gave her husband who, ate, uh, who was with her, and he ate also. The result was that mankind's thinking and emotions were corrupted. Mankind's thinking was corrupted. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Just a moment, I'll unpack that. And secondly, their emotions were corrupted, and their foolish heart was darkened. We speak of total depravity. Total depravity does not mean that a person is as evil as they can be. But total depravity speaks to a depravity of the entire being, emotion, will, and intellect. Sin 
affects every part of our being. And this text focuses on the effect that sin has on our thinking and the effect that sin has on our emotions. First, the uh, effect that it has upon our thinking. Now mankind has a false sense of what is right and wrong. That's what is meant by this aspect. They became futile in their thinking. Their thinking became futile. It became useless. It was corrupted. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That's where Adam and Eve were. They were wise in their own eyes. So they rejected what God had to say and replaced it with what they thought was right or wrong. When Satan said that you will be like God, knowing good from evil, that was a half-truth. That was a half-truth. There were two ideas that were conveyed in that statement by the evil one. The first is that you'll be like God. And that is in the sense that you can determine what is right and wrong. You'll be like God. God is the one who declares what is right and what is wrong. You are now going to have the opportunity to declare for yourself what is right and what is wrong. You're going to be able to make your own decisions. You don't have to listen to this God who says, don't eat from this tree. If you want to eat from the tree, you can eat from the tree. You can decide for yourself. Okay? That's one major rejection of God's truth. When mankind wants to decide for themselves what is right and wrong, rather than to receive God's declaration of what is right and what is wrong. And in that rejection of truth, you have this topsy-turvy so that mankind calls good what God calls evil and mankind calls evil what God calls good. There's this perversion of right and wrong, of what is good, what is wrong, what is holy, what is sinful. Their, their thinking became futile. Number one, this, the, this false sense of right and wrong is manifested in their view of nakedness. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now that has a negative connotation. That's not a positive connotation. When it says their eyes were opened, it the idea here, again, is woe unto those who are wise in their own eyes. Okay? They were now determining for themselves what was right and what was wrong. And in this topsy-turvy world, they determined that it was wrong for them to be naked. They are now ashamed of being naked. They feel guilty 
for being naked. Hey, prior to the fall, there was an appropriate nakedness in marriage. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay? Now, the key word there is verse, in verse 25 is the word wife. Okay? Adam and Eve were a married couple in God's eyes. God brought them together and established for Adam and Eve the covenant of marriage. And you have that incredible statement in Genesis 2.18 concerning the covenant of marriage. It says, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I say that's an incredible statement because it's referring to Adam and Eve, who, guess what, have no mother, have no father, but it's the covenant of marriage and this relationship that is to be had between a husband and a wife where the two are one flesh. And as husband and wife, there was nothing wrong with their being naked. It was appropriate for them to be naked. They were one flesh. But now that became something dirty. That became something unacceptable because they have put light for darkness. And so after the fall, Adam and Eve have a perverted view of nakedness. But then both of their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. Now there are three different Hebrew words translated into English as the word naked or nakedness. And in Genesis, there are two different Hebrew words used. The first word is a word for an appropriate nakedness. Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked, that's a good word, and were not ashamed, which was appropriate. This is before the fall. 1 Samuel 19.24, where this word is used also. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets. Here was a, a nakedness that was inappropriate. It is... It was an unabashed commitment to God. Job said in Job 121, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Nothing inappropriate there. The second word is a word for an inappropriate or disgraceful nakedness. Such as in Ezekiel 16.22, And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. Ezekiel 18.7 Does not oppress anyone. Oppression comes up again. We're going to find that many times in the Old Testament, even as we saw in this morning's message. Does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment. There the naked is, an, is a negative connotation. Here is a person who is naked and shouldn't be. The righteous covers them with a garment. The, righteousness, the righteous covers up that inappropriate nakedness. The third word is a very specific word, meaning the nakedness 
of genitalia it is referring to uh, the private parts being exposed. Genesis 9.22, And him, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, this private parts, and told his two brothers outside. And so they uh, went in. Exodus 20, 26, you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed, that your private parts are not exposed. And then in Leviticus 18, all the way from 6, verse 6, as you turn to the next page, to verse, 18, uh, to verse 19, are listings of all the inappropriate Nakednesses, if you will, the, the uh, exposing of private parts. I'll start with verse 6. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness, the private parts of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. And so it goes through father and mother and aunt and uncle and all these inappropriate uh, nakednesses. So number two, on page six. Here is the first act of sexual perversion. That which was acceptable in marriage was now viewed as unacceptable by Adam and Eve. Okay? That's the first downward trend. The rejection of God's truth has resulted in a punitive corruption of mankind's emotions and intellect. So their intellect was affected, their emotions were affected negatively, and now God is going to punish them for their corrupted emotions and intellect. A. Because mankind rejected God's truth, God gave them up to their sinful desires. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. He gave them up. He allowed them to follow their sinful emotions. Their emotions were not leading them Towards God, their emotions were leading them away from God, and he allowed them just to follow their emotions. The lusts were no longer righteous, but rather impure. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. It resulted in impurity. Impurity is just the opposite of purity. Purity is holiness. Impurity is sinfulness. So he gave them up to the lust of their hearts, which resulted in impurity. Here, impurity leads to dishonoring of our bodies. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Okay? So now, their bodies are going to be dishonored. I don't know how much intricacy to get into in this whole discussion, but there's a play here on 
When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Okay, the King James says they, they glorified not him as God. The ESV says they honored him not as God. He didn't honor them so that they dishonor themselves. One of the ways they dishonored God in Romans is, although they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible beasts and four-footed creatures and creeping things. They made God on the level of the creation. They made God like four-footed beasts like creeping things, like snakes. They lowered God. So God lowered them, and in particularly their, their bodies, okay? Dishonored them, number one. This was first seen in their view of nakedness, already considered, and secondly, the sinful passions resulted in sinful activity that dishonored the body. God did not put a restraint on their lusts. He allowed their lusts to lead them wherever they will. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty of their error. So this lust manifested itself even to the point of now men having sex with men and women having sex with women. So it starts out with dishonoring marriage and moves all the way to men having relationship with men and women having relationship with with women. But it is not limited to that. 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee and Morality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Speaking about immorality, speaking about um, adultery, all sexual sins dishonor the body. Number three, sexual activity without restraint leads to further perversion. Righteousness, unrighteousness suppresses the truth. So, let me start making some applications to today, and uh, we'll do more of that next week. But one of the things that we see in our, in our culture, it's not on the page, so... Uh, I'm freelancing here for a moment. One of the things that, that we see in our, our culture is the increase in homosexual activity. I personally do not believe that that is simply the fact that more people are coming out of the closet. I don't think it is just simply that it is becoming more apparent or more open. I think it is increasing. It's increasing. 
And I don't think that it's increasing simply because of predisposition or physical makeup. While I think there are dispositions, and while I do think that there are issues concerning physical makeup in some aspects, yet just the fact that there is an increase in bisexuality uh, tends to demonstrate that it isn't just purely uh, physical issues. Okay? But rather, it is a demonstration of a lack of restraint in the part of uh, sexual mores, okay? Uh, So bottom line, okay, we live in a society that for so long has practiced uh, unrestrained physical acts that are sinful. There's been such freedom that's come into our society since birth control and other uh, conceptions, that it has just led to uh, a lack of concern. Okay, that they're, they're, that um, premarital sex is just so so commonplace. You know, it that one time that which was seen as rebellious and shocking is no longer rebellious and shocking. Even, as I say, homosexual behavior, which at one time was seen as rebellious and shocking, to many is less shocking. And so there now is an increase in in bisexuality and this incredible openness. And not only is there an increase in in, uh, bisexuality, there's even an increase in bestiality of having sexual activities with animals and so on. We are living in an incredibly perverse society. As God gives us over to our sinful passions. D, because mankind rejected God's truth, God gave them up to sinful thoughts. Romans 1.28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. The result is that mankind engages in a host of unrighteous activities. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You see, it's not just sexual, it's all these things. Mankind does these things despite knowing the consequences. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they, they do these things, even though they know what God has to say. And thirdly, mankind also gives approval rather than dishonor to those who do such things. Mankind seeks to make honorable that which is dishonorable. Though they know God's righteous decree 
that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but now these words, but give approval to those who practice them. Here is the complete manifestation of turning evil for good and good for evil. That which should be viewed as shameful now becomes appropriate and good. That which is appropriate and good now becomes shameful. Okay? We live in a society where if you are an older teen, you are a young adult, and you are a virgin, you very well may be ridiculed. You might be mocked. You might be made fun of for living that kind of lifestyle. And if you're living a very permissive lifestyle, you might be patted on the back. Looked up to. Become the big man on campus. Receive hearty approval. The biblical standard for sexual honor is marriage. Hebrews 13.4 Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So the first half of that verse, let the marriage bed be undefiled. There is nothing wrong with sex within marriage. It is very appropriate. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, there was nothing wrong with them being naked, for they were husband and wife. Sex in marriage should be celebrated. It's a good thing. But sex outside of marriage, that's a whole other deal. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So, let's talk about, again, the strange period of time in which we live. The strange period of time in which we live has resulted in the fact that sex without side of marriage is tending to be less and less dishonorable. There's, it's viewed as nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage. I mentioned a few messages ago that today... More people live together before marriage than people marrying without living together. The people who don't live together before they're married are now in the minority. That's where we are in our culture. That's where we're rapidly becoming in the church. People are living together. And it's being winked at, okay? We need to understand that that dishonors marriage. That that brings marriage down. We would have never 
ever gotten to the place where our Supreme Court would have allowed homosexuals to marry if we would have held to a high view of marriage. We lost, not here, we lost way back here through our low view of marriage with the divorce rates, with the adultery, with all these things. Married, marriage was dis, dishonored. However, the strange culture and society in which we live, there's still, deep down inside, is this understanding that marriage is honorable. Marriage is a good thing. As much as people want to pretend that it doesn't matter, it does matter. And people know it matters. People know it matters. All you have to do is be around someone who is living together, and if you have any sense of... If they view you as a moral authority, they're uncomfortable around you. And if you say anything at all that kind of even hints about that that's inappropriate, they're going to be right on your case for judging them. Who are you to tell me how to live? Okay? It's a sore spot with people because deep down inside they know. Deep down inside they know. They're aware. Why is marriage such a big deal in a homosexual community? Why, in a society where people live together and can do so and function as far as the law is concerned and and so on, because it's so, so commonplace, the majority of people living together, why, why then are homosexual couples not satisfied to live together? Why don't they just decide to live like the majority of Americans live? Why do they want to be married? I believe the answer to that is they want to have a position of honor within the community. They want to be held in esteem. They want their union to be approved, accepted, not just tolerated, but viewed as appropriate, right, wholesome, good. And to me, that's what this whole marriage debate is really about. Is it acceptable? Is it appropriate? Is it good? We'll talk more about that. I'm just setting up the debate. Number one, the world condemns sex that does not take place between two consenting adults. Okay, So there is a 
right and wrong in our culture. There, there still are some sins, if you will. There, there are sexual acts that are unacceptable. And that is sex that does not take place between two consenting adults. So most notably, not limited to, but most notably rape is unacceptable. Date rape is unacceptable. Giving drugs to someone, uh, the whole Bill Cosby thing is unacceptable. Child molestation is unacceptable because the child cannot give true consent. <clears throat> the adult is seen as a, a predator. Okay, A predator is back to this aspect of oppression. Such wrongs are not due to sexual reasons, but seen as oppression. Okay, it's under that, that guise. It's, it's under that understanding. Why are these things unacceptable? Not because they are impure, not because they were sexual acts, but it is unacceptable because it's oppressive. And in our society, oppression is the worst thing that you can have. You don't want to oppress anyone. Therefore, it's wrong. But now you have to understand the debate that's going on even in Christian circles. Because so many young people have bought into this idea that among consenting adults, whatever they do is okay if it's it's consenting adults. Whatever goes on behind closed doors. And today doesn't even have to be closed doors. Whatever two people decide that they want to do, who's anybody to say they shouldn't? Government shouldn't enter into that. Neighbors shouldn't enter into that. That's between two people. Two consenting adults. And there are a lot of Christians that are beginning to feel that way. And then they look at what is happening with the laws and uh, not having uh, homosexuals marry, etc., as being oppressive. You are not treating them equally. You're not treating them fairly. You're not treating them kindly. You're not treating them justly. It's becoming an oppression issue. And so there are a lot of Christians that are beginning to say, yes, there is nothing wrong with this. And to say that there is, is oppressing a people, an entity. And that is wrong, they say. And that is sinful, they say. The point tonight is when you leave the Bible behind... And mankind begins to think for themselves what is right and what is wrong. That can lead anywhere. And it can justify almost anything. Because we're back to what the Bible says. My thoughts are not not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Thus says the Lord. Without the scriptures... Our minds reject the truth, 
Believe the lie. Good becomes bad. Bad becomes good. So don't be surprised. If you're made, up, made fun of for being a virgin, don't be surprised if people pat you on the back when you are living a, a lifestyle that by biblical standards is unacceptable. Realize what a challenge it is for us as Christians to simply seek to live according to biblical standards. And understand the challenge as we go forward to try to even have a dialogue about these things. To even try to interact with people. You've really got to understand where people are coming from. So the very first thing that we have to convey to people is this is not about oppression. This is not about oppression. This is not about hate. I hope this is not about hate. We need to make it clear to people that when we're talking about what is right and wrong, we're not talking about hating a particular people group. We're not talking about trying to harm them. But we're talking about trying to maintain a biblical standard. The second thing we must recognize is that that falls flat on its face. We will get nowhere if the only sexual sins we are concerned about is homosexuality. Everyone will be able to see through that hypocrisy if we're not concerned about all sexual sins. So in order to address homosexuality in truth, by its biblical standard, by its biblical norm, we have to address all of the sexual sins, and we need to address all the sexual sins. And where it begins is in the Christian home. It begins with you, with me, with our children, living righteous and holy lives of moral purity across the board. Keeping sex within marriage. And everything else contributes to the downfall of society. Everything else leads to the sexual perversion. Everything else results in this further suppression of the, of the truth, the further corruption of individuals and our culture as a whole. We've got to stop. We'll pick that up next week. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to live morally pure lives. Help us to see that indeed that is necessary in a society that has turned on its head. Uh, Help us, first of all, to understand what 
sexual purity is, and then, Lord, uh, seek to try to manifest that in our own lives and hold it as our own personal standard to begin with. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, and you are dismissed.